0: Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm a People's Choice Podcast Award-nominated host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach, and this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, you'll hear from someone who has totally changed both my creative and personal life, and benefited this show in more ways than I can count. She's my associate producer, Emily Shulmanovich. I wanted to bring Emily on the show so you can start to get to know her, her voice, get tips on finding purpose, because she just found hers in doing production, and learn how our partnership came to be. It's an amazing conversation full of depth, silliness, love, and a lot of laughs. A quick note that this chat is a very different style than most episodes you hear on the show. It's much more informal. Because it's friendship chat and honestly, it even gets a little raunchy at times, which is kind of fun. I'm blessed to say that in addition to working together, Emily and I have become great friends and we literally talk about anything and everything. So you're definitely going to see a different side of me and I feel a bit vulnerable about that, but I'm also super excited to share it and see what you think. We had so much fun recording this episode. It was awesome letting our hair down and just getting to hear a little bit more of Emily's story because honestly, I learned a lot in getting to talk with her and interview her too. So if you like it, if you like this kind of different format, let us know because honestly, we'd love to do more. I promise you, you're in for a lot of laughs and inspiration. So without further ado, here's my chat with Emily. So I'm going to teach you what you're supposed to do in order to to actually engage your pelvic floor and, and sing and speak from there. I don't know what that means.
1: Um. <laughs> like, people are like, just breathe from the bottom. I'm like, I don't, like, I can expand my stomach, but I feel like it's coming through the same place because like, look, okay, this is yeah. me, this is, <laughs> this is me using my, so are we recording? Do,
0: yes, we're recording just for safety. <laughs> just for safety. Just so that this can just be, just so we don't
1: get hurt, we're just recording. So that this can be
0: remembered somewhere. <laughs> So what we're gonna do is, so you know a Kegel, yes. So okay, a Kegel, you have to do the opposite of it. So push out, push. <laughs> so push down. What if I queef? If you queef, you queef. If I queef, I queef. Okay, push down. Okay, do you feel that? You feel it at the bottom of your stomach? How your stomach's yeah. like gotten tighter? Okay, great. So so now I might pee a little bit. <laughs> okay, so now you're using that, and then you're gonna lift. You know this thing? Uh
1: huh. You're gonna lift the soft palate. Wait, putting your tongue down is lifting it? <laughs> That's,
0: I feel like that's... Not putting your tongue down. It's like, take a breath in. Like, and then you talk like this. This is how you project. This is how... Hold on. I'm trying to push my kegel. up. So push down and then you lift up. So then that's how you project. And it's... My voice teacher calls it the anchor and the sail. So the the pelvic floor is the anchor. Okay. And the uh, uvula or the soft palate is the sail. And then the air... This is an ab workout. Yeah. And then the the sound just... (laughs) Streams
1: on out. Okay, I, I gotta be honest, I'm not great at the soft palette part.
0: Welcome to <laughs> Emily, honey buns. Here I am. Today you're going to hear from a very special guest, j-lo <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Jennifer Lopez is in the house. She's ready to talk about Arod. This Don't is worry. definitely We've what got she got sounds breaking like. Breaking news. <laughs> well, we couldn't get J-Lo, but we got a close second. Her younger sister, Emily Shulmanovich. Different last names, same, say it same right? family. Yeah. No, Good. you actually said it correctly. Okay. So Emily is an incredible human being. She is the associate producer of this show. And I want to take this moment to introduce you to somebody who's totally changed my life, both professionally and personally. She has a cool story. We have a cool story of how we got to know each other. We're going to get into all that in addition to tips on how to survive your 20s, how to find your passion, even if the word passion triggers you. <laughs> um, what it feels like when you do finally step into the thing you want. And also mental health tips, because one big part for M in finding what she wanted to do was taking charge of her mental health and really starting to deal with that. But before we get into that, I do want to note that her roommate is taking a shower. <laughs> so you may hear that in the background and uh, if you do enjoy the sound effects, it's like the Call Map, but free of charge. It's just the Amazon rainforest in the back. That's right. Um, I want to first go into how we met because you came to me through a friend a of dream. mine. A dream. Through a dream. <laughs> Basically, well, because here's what I had been saying prior to meeting you. I kept saying, you know, I had a couple interns. None of them worked out. Mm. And I kept saying, like, I just need to meet a little me. Like, I just need to meet somebody who's like wired the same way I am and works the same way as I do. So I just put that out there. I had like tried to hire people. There was somebody actually that I thought I was going to have do everything for me, but I still had a hesitation in me. And then I hired this.
1: You met the one. I
0: I did. (laughs) I met the one. You became a AP, which we, well, we moved you up to AP. You were going to be a PA on my, which is a production assistant. AP is associate producer on my music video. Two like
1: very different job titles. One is the bottom of the barrel. And, and the one other is one like is the like- middle of the barrel.
0: <laughs> but you're still in the barrel. I'm I'm in the barrel, you guys. I haven't made it out yet. <laughs> I haven't either. So we're good. No, I mean like, you know, I feel like you want to be in the barrel because the barrel is where the action is for sure. Uh, So yeah, so I hired you. Well, before I hired you, I did a quick phone conversation with you and I just loved your energy. You were so excited. You were like, listen to the song. You're like, I love the song. You were so geared up for it. And so I already felt like it was going to be a great scenario. But then we got on set and literally every single thing that I needed help with, you were just on it. Like down to the fact that she curled my hair, By the way, with like a a plug that kept going out every two seconds. So she had to keep pressing on because there was not really great electricity coming from our bus. (laughs) From our bus, from our van. Yeah. The van that I rented for the shoot, you know, it was supposed to have electricity in it, but it didn't quite work. So anyway, she just was so on it. Every little thing like was always filling in. You didn't even have to ask her And I just, I loved her spirit and her hustle. We also got really deep really quickly on the drive there.
1: I felt really comfortable with you. I felt like, I mean, you just have this therapist vibe. I've always said this since I met you. Since November. (laughs) (laughs) As of um, six months ago. Um, is that six months? Four. That's crazy. Four months. It feels like shorter and longer. I feel like we've been working together for at least six months. It's been Mm -hmm. four, which is stupid. Um, But I've always said that she should be a life coach. You know, you do a really good job of just making people feel extremely open and like it's okay to be vulnerable. And, you know, you were
0: also talking about your breakup. And so you just
1: made a really safe space in the the van.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, I think I told everybody all the gory details of it, so... You know, what are you going to do? If you're creating a music video with people, you have to tell the truth. As they always say. As they say. The number one tip for making a music
1: video
0: is tell tell the the truth. truth to your crew. So long story short, I just fell in love with Emily because she was and is so just on it. And just cared. And that's the biggest thing. And I think something I've tried to tell you the listener over and over again is that that is the thing you can't teach. You can't teach someone how to care. You can teach them a skill, but you can't teach them heart. And so it's the most important thing that you can bring to the table in any work scenario, in any relationship, in anything in life is caring. And so I saw that in her. And... I don't know how it ended up. I think I told you a lot about my podcast.
1: Right. Yeah. So in the van, you had mentioned that you had a podcast and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I would love to just learn, like just pick your brain about that. And then you did the thing that everybody in LA does where they're like, dude, hit me up after. We'll totally like, I'll teach you everything I know. And you are the, probably the one person out of a hundred thousand people who actually follows up on that. and. I, I don't even remember who texted who first. Well,
0: you texted me and said, I will literally work for you for free because I want to learn. I was like, oh, you should never say that. But I didn't let her. Or um- well, you
1: should because now you're in my position.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like. <laughs> don't
1: value yourself as the goal here
0: <laughs> but the thing is and I will say because I worked for free a lot in the beginning of my career and I mean I was lucky too I did have three jobs at the time but I was like working for free in the evenings like learning podcasting and radio and I felt really bad about myself at the time because no. I wasn't getting like paid anything and so at the time I felt like oh man, like, am I not worth it? But I I look back on it and I'm like, I got an education. Like for me personally, I would have to pay for that otherwise. A hundred percent. But I got, I was there and learned on the job and then I didn't have to pay for it. And then I became one of the best people at what I do. Yeah. So there is a value to that if you have like the privilege of taking the opportunity of learning for free. You know
1: what? I was always really jealous literally in my late twenties that college students got to have internships and adults couldn't do an internship. I'm like, I switched my career. I think it's so dumb that people decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives at 18 by choosing Mm -hmm. a major. You know
0: nothing when you're 18. Your brain is just like not developed. I barely
1: know shit right now. Same. So the fact that like you can try something out. And I think that that's something that people don't really get a chance to do or are encouraged to do as they're adults. They're like, all right, you've gotten into your career. Just keep fucking going. And nobody encourages you to try other things or change careers. And that's what I did at 27. And Mm -hmm. I'm willing to work for free because I know that that's like, that's your fucking way in. And then you prove yourself and then you go, yeah, I'm worth the money, but you can't be worth the money before you prove yourself. And listen, you don't need a college degree To be a podcaster or to be a producer or
0: really do anything in the entertainment industry? Honestly, no. Like you need a college degree to be a doctor. Well, you need a medical degree. But like to be certain, like a nurse, you know, college for me was all about connections. Totally. And learning my work ethic. And again, learning to care. To circle everything back, that's what you can't teach. And that's why I wanted to work with Emily. So she was like, she offered herself up in that way. But I was like, okay, well, we'll like table it. Because I had at the time this other person I was going to work with. Then they got a job, so they couldn't end up like doing it because it's very part-time. And I knew Emily was interested and available, so I reached out to her. She was Johnny on the spot, <laughs> said yes right away. And as soon as we started working together, it was different than anyone else I had ever worked with in this capacity. She would not quit until she had everything the way she wanted it to be, until it was as good as it could possibly be within her ability at the time she always wanted to grow she was willing to take my notes she was so interested in it she had such a passion and there was just such a driving force behind her and I was like oh I I thought it was going to be like a two-week thing I think I said that to you at the time I'm like yeah I just need you for two weeks like I can't let her go like I need her now
1: no, that's that was my goal. I'm like, I'm going to do so much that she can't,
0: <laughs> she can't get rid of me. I couldn't because, you know, to that point, I had been carrying the entire load of the show and it, I love it, but it is a lot of work. Like people don't realize that doing an hour long show each week is hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work. And I was probably putting like at least 20 hours into this a week. Yeah. And that's a lot for one human. Especially
1: for what you do. I know how much how many hours you put into your main job. And so that's what astonishes me to this day is that you even had the time to work on this podcast. And I think that shows, one, what a workaholic you are, but um, also just how committed you are to the community.
0: Yeah, well, I really do believe in it. I love it. I do think we have to fight for our dreams. But at a certain point, you do have to recognize if you're getting burnt out to the point where you're not even loving it anymore. And I was getting there. And so you coming in was a godsend because – then I was able to zoom out, get back to the love and also start thinking about growing the show, which is yeah, what big picture stuff, yeah, what we really need. So anyway, it's just a little lesson for anyone listening to show up, to care, not be afraid to like take what the world would say is a demotion, but like for you as a promotion because you're getting closer to what your passion is, you know, so now, you know, kind of the backstory, but I do want to dive into Emily's life path a little bit because she struggled a lot in her 20s. So like, much. She's still in them. She's very youthful. <laughs> it's rude. Um, <laughs> I'm like tears away from my 30s. Okay, but I remember when I was 27, I thought I was so old. I feel so old. Oh my gosh, you're so wrong about that.
1: Oh, but you know what? In all of my 20s, I always said I was so excited for my 30s. Because I looked at people in their 30s and I'm like, oh man, they have shit figured out. Oh, it's
0: good that you know that because I didn't understand that when I was in my 20s. And it's true. Like you don't have shit figured out, but you give a lot less F's and you are more yourself than ever before because you are Mm -hmm. setting boundaries. You are like closer to what you will eventually be. So I think, yeah, definitely look forward to your thirties, but take me through your path a little bit. Like why were the twenties so turbulent for you? What happened?
1: I guess there was always this like assumption that the older you got, the more things got figured out. Like I thought that time would solve a lot of things. And that that was a hard truth that I got to where like, oh, like if you don't work on yourself, like nothing changes. Mm. Like you get smarter, but you don't figure shit out or, or what you need to do. And so when I was – I remember when I was in college – and where'd you go to school? To a tiny liberal arts college in Missouri that no one's ever heard of. I followed a boy there. Yeah, it was. What's it called? So stupid. Uh, Truman State University. Great place, by the way. It got like top of the list for like best bang for your buck university. you were gonna say best bang? I was like, <laughs> can I go? No. I mean, I did get banged, but <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know if it was, like, the best bang. <laughs> but it was serviceable. It was so, – yeah. For it was, that age. It was – yeah, for that age when, like, nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, So I should say that, like, when I was a kid, I loved theater – Ah, I can't say musical theater. I did. I did a couple musical theater things. But my voice, can you give us
0: a tune? Oh, my
1: God. My voice was so bad. I did. Um, I was the lead in Little Shop of Horrors. Do you remember that? Audrey? Yes, oh I my was gosh. Audrey. Sing a little bit. Suddenly Seymour, come on. That is so funny that you say that song, because this is the best part of the entire experience the musical theater teacher, he was like, I I don't know why he picked me. I think it was because I was really into like when we were all in class together and we were singing together, I was really like making the faces and doing the hand motions. Because you care. I cared. And I was like, it looked like I was a really good singer because I was like really into it. But he never singled me out to be like, hey, like you sing by yourself. And so then he chose me to be the lead. So you didn't
0: even have to audition? I didn't have to audition. Okay, this is becoming a theme for you, and I'm getting jealous. <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back well, to that. it bites me in the
1: ass, though. So <laughs> then we start the actual production, and he realizes very quickly that I can't sing. And I was like, I'm going to try my best. Um, and I felt like I had fully conned this man into thinking that this was going to be a good show. And so he's like, "All right, this last song is suddenly Seymour." He's like, "All right, we got somebody playing the piano for you, and the last note of the song, you have to stick it out as long as you possibly can." It's not an
0: easy song, by the way. It's Not an easy song. It's it's pretty belty. It's pretty rangy. You would be amazing at it. I would be great at that (laughs) part. I really would. I'm I'm made for a role like that. It's very obnoxious and loud. It's literally like
1: you are musical theater gold in the sense that like you know how to control your notes. And I don't. I'm very shaky. And so so he he told me, he's like, hold it out as long as you can, and the piano will just follow you. And I think what happened was the piano player couldn't hear me singing. And so I stopped you real mic'd? short. I was mic'd, but I think because he was playing the piano and he was like oh, right next to the speaker, it. like he could not hear when I stopped. Well, that was his fault then, because you're supposed to always follow the singer. He definitely thought that I would go for like at least the time that was expected of me. So... I'm going to do it because okay, I don't you give a shit. So the last line of the song is, Seymour's my man. And you just like have to keep going with man. Like as long as you. That was nice. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> it was, um, you you made it sound like you prosecco. were going to be
0: terrible.
1: That was nice. That's pleasant. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to listen back to this because I do the editing and I'm going to be can like. Put a
0: little auto tune on it if you want. <laughs> But honestly, I think you were on pitch. It's true.
1: My boyfriend's a music producer, so I'll have him edit this episode. Perfect. Um, But I couldn't hold out that man for more than like two seconds. Anyway, my point (laughs) was I was really into theater as a kid. As a child. Yes. And so I told my parents, I want to be an actress. And they said, absolutely not. You are not going to be an actress. You are going to be, they told me to be an eye doctor. Because they, they thought it was like the easiest type of doctor to become. And they were like, you could have flexible hours. <laughs> okay. And let's give a little
0: context. So you're first generation Russian.
1: Yes. Yes. So my parents like literally fled. They're Jews that fled the Soviet Union. They got here in like
0: 1991, had me a year and wow. a half later. Yeah. How do you think being first generation affected your outlook in life?
1: It was just super practical. You know, it was all about survival. It was all about stability. And that's really what my parents ingrained in me. So, like, I remember saying that I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be an author. And I even – I really loved sketching as a kid. Um, and my mom is, like, one of the most amazing artists on the planet – she paints and she's a hairdresser and she's an architect she does everything wow and she's a chef like she's one of the most multi hyphenate human beings I've ever met in my life and she went to art school and she was really forced into it by her father who Mm. was very obsessive over art and so when I would like doodle a little sketch as a kid I would show it to her and she would be like she would be extremely honest with me and she'd be like that's horrible like you did a bad job and I was like seven and I was like really so I had like this very like perfectionist mindset from a really young age where I was like what my sketching turned into was me copying other people's sketches because I had a really good natural technique but I never trusted my own imagination and so um
0: so please feel free to
1: cry um (laughs)
0: That's so sad because I, I mean, it's just interesting because you and I, interestingly enough, I think we turned out in a similar way where like, I'm also hard on myself, but it wasn't from my parents. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know where that came from. Like I'm very much like lash myself within, but my parents were really ridiculous. As you know, you've heard them ridiculously encouraging, but it's, it's interesting to me. Like, how do you think having that? kind of and obviously you have an incredible relationship with your mom and you really love her but like having that kind of criticism or critique as a kid affected the path you chose
1: oh completely it completely affected the path I chose they got in my head in a way that was very rational to me of like this is what's realistic the people who chose the creative route are dumb for doing Mm. so because they were always like only the one percent make it in that world why take those odds, you know? And I really empathized with them because they had a really difficult life, you know? Yeah.
0: And they were trying to protect you. Of
1: course. Yeah. It came from a place of love. So I can't look at it and go, she was critiquing me because she didn't want me to feel good. She wanted me to be better, right? Yeah. It, was, it was all about like either you're the best in what you do and then you could really pursue it or you go for something that's more practical where you know you're gonna make money.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: if you're gonna be the 1% in something like art, then you have to be the 1%. You have to be fucking amazing. And that's a huge reason why I, I just didn't pursue those things. And so I got to high school and I was like, you know, my biological dad is in business, my stepdad was an engineer, um, my mom's a hairstylist, but she started her business like. It was almost like too easy for her to start her own business because she was working at a salon and she collected clients over the years and then she started it in her house. So I don't know. I just never had the entrepreneurial, I can't even say that word. Entrepreneurial. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to let you say it every time. I'll just point to you. (laughs) I never had the entrepreneurial mindset.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you did, but you had kind of like, you had had it squeezed out of you i had it squeezed out of me
1: yeah i totally did and so when i got to high school i was like all right i'm gonna go the business route i thought i was gonna be an accountant for a long time and that sounds so awful i was a b student in accounting it was like girl you're not good enough for that but i got to college and i was like all right i'll stick to business but why don't i do something like a little sexier like a little more exciting and i was like i'll do marketing marketing's fun people make it sound fun. And I don't know how you feel about it, Lauren, but like I hate marketing with a
0: passion and I hated it when
1: I took all those classes.
0: I'll tell you, I wish I was better at it because I do think it's a really good thing. So important. I mean, like that's what we're working on in the podcast right now is figuring out the branding and the marketing. And if I was great at that naturally, I wouldn't have to hire someone. Totally. So I do think it's important but I don't think it's something I would ever be driven to do. It's not a passion. No. <laughs> you sorry. you I, literally I, I just literally, got a shiver through your body shiver. when you said passion. Yeah. It's a trigger
1: word. Yeah. So you majored in marketing. I majored in marketing. I got so my what, degree in marketing. did you learn anything? Like
0: I – Oh, my God. Oh, a bug just A moth just, huge, just flew through Massive here. bug. Okay.
1: She's being dramatic. It's, it was a it moth. It was so
0: big. <laughs> I am fearing for my life right now. It's
1: so the last time she comes to my place. <laughs> I also just want to make it clear that we're
0: being COVID safe. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been tested maybe eight times in the last two weeks. And I haven't left my
0: house. And she literally I literally, (laughs) like, didn't go anywhere in my whole life. (laughs) Basically, for the past six months, I've seen no one. She hasn't seen people pretty much since the music video that we worked on. Honestly. Yeah. So we were talking about marketing. I said, did you learn anything in marketing?
1: yeah. So I learned a ton, but it was like I didn't care. Well, They're like, you know, find your target audience, find your this, like, what are the the needs of your, I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) And I I was a good student and I got good grades. But I graduated and I was like, I don't want to do marketing. And I am really good at escaping from my problems. (laughs) People who are like, I'm so scared of change. I love change. I love change. How? Oh my God. Like I was just always moving to a new place, starting a new program, doing a new thing. And I realize now looking back that that was because if I stood still,
0: you had to deal with yourself.
1: Exactly. I would be like, oh fuck, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. And every time I got to start over, it was just biding time. And everybody kept telling me, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And people were like, oh, you're just so young. You'll figure it out. You're so young. And people kept telling me that until I turned 27. And I'm like, bro, I'm not that young anymore. Nothing has changed.
0: Um, Hold on. Let me just adjust your levels.
1: Am I too loud?
0: A little, but that's a good thing. That means you're really growing. Queefing. Queefing. (laughs) Okay. So what did you do after college? So I was
1: like, I have the rest of my life to work. I'm really young. And I had this great experience in college summer of maybe senior year, junior year, I can't remember now, where I did a three-month internship in Israel. And basically, that was just me doing a marketing internship for a startup in Tel Aviv. Wow. It sounds intensive, but really, it was like the easiest job in the world. A monkey could have done it. I was like posting videos on Facebook the entire summer. Uh, the one cool thing I did is I basically like designed an app, like a beauty app, which was cool. What? Why didn't you tell me this? <laughs> I forget. Honestly, <laughs> it was it was cool. Um, I had a, like a great team, a great boss. And basically that whole summer was just like exploring this culture and just learning about my own Judaism and, Mm. and not in a religious way, but in like a really cultural, yeah, cultural, spiritual, like I landed and like the whole country hugged me and they were like, your family, your home. And it was really beautiful. And, and I'm sure it's actually the same for Catholics who go to like Jerusalem. You like, you get to see where like Jesus walked in, in the old city and where he put his hand on the
0: wall and. I've never done anything in my life. Okay. Well, well you, you know, should, like you 2020 was supposed to be the year when I traveled and had fun.
1: <laughs> that was your New Year's resolution? LOL.
0: <laughs> to, to quote you, LOL. LOL. I do say LOL. That did not end up happening. I was supposed to go to Italy because I've never been to Italy.
1: Oh, Italy is so beautiful. Oh,
0: rub it in. Yeah. So you did that internship and then when you graduated, you felt called to travel again?
1: I was like, I have to go back to Israel. Mm-hmm. I was like, that was the best three months of my life. Wow. I just need to go back. And the one program that I found that, like, let me spend an entire year there was a MASA program, and it was a teaching fellowship. And What's Masah? Just the name of the program. I don't remember what it stands for, mm. so don't quiz me right now, Great. I won't. I just <laughs> wanted to know if we could understand, but we can't. You can Google it. Um, And it was a teaching fellowship. I, for the record, this is going to sound awful, but I, like, hate children. Like, I... <laughs> I'm not a fan of kids. Do you want to have kids? Not as of now. Okay. Um, I'm sure that'll change in the future. That's it's what okay everybody says. okay if it says. doesn't, though. It might not. It might it's fine not. fine if it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know how to act around kids. I, I like, I have extreme social anxiety. So, like, when I'm around Why? children, I'm Wait, a- <laughs>
0: What? what is it? So what are you so scared of that a kid's going to do?
1: Talk to me in the way that, like, I don't know how to respond. So, like, what? Um, Emily, will you play with me?
0: What are you going to say?
1: Like, sh- sure, what do you want <laughs> to play? What do we play? Well, I feel like such
0: a burden to you already. Of <laughs> I think I love kids because I'm a kid. You are 100% a kid. I get along with them so well. Like, we have so much fun together. The thing is, my I'm- friend's baby just came up to me and, like, had never met me before and just hugged me and asked to, like, sit with me. I and would be a, so awkward It was in that so scenario. nice. Like, it was like, oh God, someone who's just, like, loving. Yeah. Wants nothing in return but a hug. I want so much in return.
1: <laughs> okay, so you hated teaching because you hate children. It's I'm exaggerating. I I really hated children then. Now I Tolerate I, hate, I really enjoy them. I love babies because they can't talk. So. <laughs> but I taught middle schoolers, which I was very okay with because I was like, okay, middle schoolers are like.
0: They're adults. Yeah. They're like intellectual enough where you can have a conversation. Totally. Right. I don't have to be like, oh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So anyway. So I taught English to very religious, strict, orthodox, Jewish middle schoolers Mm -hmm. who, by the way, would like randomly follow me on Instagram. I don't know how they found me. And they'd be like, oh, our teacher is like not jewish like she's not orthodox like pictures of me drinking and they'd be like what the fuck is this except they wouldn't say the word fuck they'd say something like shalom
0: what on earth is this heavens oh heavens be so what happened
1: so i (laughs) so i taught them and uh i really enjoyed israel but the entire time i had this major anxiety of like okay what are you gonna do when you get back Right, you don't have a job lined up, and you don't even know like what industry you want to work in. So, like, I remember like being in the teachers' lounge, like with my co teacher, and she would like be googling. She'd be like, "All right, how does this job sound?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, that sounds horrible." <laughs> um, so, I, I was just crazy worried about coming home, Aww. but I really wanted to. I missed home and I missed right. America, and I I get home, and at the same time as I'm going through this like crazy breakup with a psycho. He sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> I am like lost and trying to find a job. And I start talking to somebody that I used to work with that I worked with like over the summer. We didn't even work in the same department. We were just like buddies. And he was like, why don't you try finance? You know, because he worked in finance. He's like, I could use an assistant. And he ended up getting me a job, and I was terrified. And I was like, really, I just felt really dumb. I felt really bad at my job at first. And like, I remember the first week that I was working, I would cry on the way home, on the drive home every day, because I was just like, I'm not good enough. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand these concepts. And I just really, I worked my ass off. And It worked out really well and I learned and I worked my way up, started out as a temp and then I got hired and then I got promoted and, and I was making amazing money. I was making like amazing money for somebody right out of college, right? I was making like 65K and I was traveling a bunch. I was working in mergers and acquisitions, which is basically where a company, our company specifically would purchase a bunch of other companies that they thought would be really useful. And, um, I would do the financial analysis for it, and then I would travel to all of these places, and it was like Japan and Milan, Italy, and Texas <laughs> all the best, most fabulous oh. places on earth, just the best locations you could possibly imagine and I was the whole time I was like I, i'm good at what I do, so I should be loving this. I'm traveling, and yet, I don't feel fulfilled because I'm not doing this with the people that I love. And so, and I really learned that like traveling is bullshit if you're doing it for work. Mm
0: -hmm. I will say it depends because I did this, you would have actually loved this job and it would have been perfect for you at the time. Too bad you didn't know me. I could have hooked you up. But I did this job for auto shows. So I would travel around the country talking about cars. The job was only six hours a day with a one hour break. Oh, that's amazing. So the whole rest of the day you had to travel, like look at the city, do sightseeing, enjoy the restaurants. So it can be great. But if you're not liking the work you're doing and if there's literally no time.
1: Well, I have a question for you. Yeah, Did you work with other people in that auto show world that you could explore with? Or were you totally by yourself?
0: Sometimes I was totally by myself and I liked that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I was with other people and I loved that. The people I worked with, like almost all of those people I would still call amazing friend today because it was like they they selected us it was for a a part of Toyota called Scion it -hmm. no longer exists but it was a fun brand and it was like a young brand so they selected us all because of our personalities so everyone on that team had a great personality most of them are artists so it was really cool which is
1: how I feel about the production world I'm like wow everyone is like amazing in this industry in the finance industry, it was me and sixty-year-old men who were like hitting on me ah. and all doing cocaine. So it was like scary. I just didn't feel like I was a hundred percent comfortable. Who I was, would feel
0: a hundred percent comfortable in that. Yeah, I, I was the, the only old white female.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, and it was again, it was fun. It was a great opportunity, but. It just felt really off. That's, yeah, that's not great. So sad. <laughs> but, okay, so you got out of that job
0: at so what I quit. age?
1: Um, I quit at age 24. I was okay. 24 years old, and I had met a guy.
0: And Is it the guy who... You're with now. The guy. It's uh, my boyfriend. Mr. Uh, Mikey, who you've heard on the podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So so you meet him at 24.
1: Yeah. That's young. Very young to meet the one when I was like, I was like, I'm going to be single until I'm like 30. I was convinced. I was like, I don't want to meet anyone until I'm in my 30s. So I have my shit together. And of course, I meet like the most incredible human being at 24. And I was like, fuck. So he was just visiting. Chicago and I met him on New Year's Eve what so I met him but at the entire time I was traveling with this company I was like looking for another place to live I never loved Chicago I always wanted to find another city I hated the snow I was like again love change loved like changing my environment and I visited LA and I was like This place is dope. And I I didn't think I would like it because I thought that –
0: It'd be bougie. I
1: thought it'd be like super materialistic, just everything everybody always says about LA. No, but just
0: certain parts of LA are that way. They are. Not
1: the valley. Not the valley. (laughs) Which is where we live. Right. So I was like, this is amazing. And whether or not my relationship works out, and I made that a big deal, I'm moving here. Whether or not we break up even a month before
0: my move-in date, like I'm coming here, this is where I want to be. And I think that's important, by the way. Let's just put a pin in that. Yeah. If you are in a relationship and you're moving just because of the other person, that is not a good situation. You have to move because you actually want to go to the place, not just because of the other person. And maybe you want to go to the place because of the other person, but you also have to be settled on the fact that like you're going to be in that space and it's not just going to be about that other person all the time. So I think that was brilliant that you realized this was the place for you outside of the relationship because otherwise you would have resented him.
1: Totally. And especially LA, which it's such a place to spit people right back out mm-hmm. because it is- It's a revolving door here. Oh, it's so brutal. Mm-hmm.
0: And like, I All the people struggled. I was friends with the first year I was here are gone.
1: That's really sad. Yeah. I mean, I, and I definitely struggled getting here because immediately I was surrounded by people who were so passionate about a thing and whether or not they were successful, I was so jealous. I was like, because at least you know what track you're on, you know? What did it
0: feel like when you didn't know?
1: I just felt so unbelievably insecure, lesser than. It seemed like everyone had had, and I know this is the case for you where, or, or at least you know you've wanted to do music your entire life. I've
0: wanted to be a performer since I was three. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that, even that performer, like that's such a wide range thing, but it's at least like an industry where you're like, okay, like I know that there's maybe these 15 different tracks I can Mm. go on. When you have an unlimited amount of options, it's so debilitating. I was comparing myself to every other, specifically every other female that was around me, Mm. but also to my boyfriend who is five years older than me, by the way, and in a very different place in his career. And he's been on this track from the time he was young. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Since he was like 10, Mm -hmm. right? So for me to compare myself to somebody like that makes absolutely no sense. But that's what LA does. You get here and you just start looking around and you go, oh, is finance like really it for me? Am I going to work in a windowless office for the rest of my life? So when you first moved here, were you doing a finance job again? I was looking for one. Okay, and I got a, a finance job at like this video game company, which to me sounded amazing because I'm very into video games. It was horrible because they were hiring me because somebody else fucked up. Oh, and so I so didn't you were cleaning even up the mess. I was cleaning up the mess, and I didn't even know where to begin. And I quit that. I had never quit. Anything, like, out of, like, feeling like that before. Like, I had quit to, like, go to a different state or a different country, but never to just because I didn't like a job. And I quit maybe, like, a month later. It was really short.
0: Did you have a backup plan or you just couldn't take it anymore? No
1: backup plan. No backup plan. How did you do it? Just knowing that showing up every day was worse than the fear of not having a job, which just crucified my parents right like they were like so upset and my and my boyfriend too like I'm I was like I'm paying rent at his place so like it's kind of important to have a backup um he was on a meditation retreat at the time when I quit one of those like 10 day long ones (laughs) exactly so he had no idea he like got back and I was like hey by the way by the way I'm free (laughs) not just today indefinitely just indefinitely free and I was unemployed for another two months and I was rock bottom just I felt like the worst human being on the planet because mm. I was like I don't have any skills like I always felt like I was really I was good at everything but not great at something really specific mm. which is the opposite of pretty much anyone t- who comes to LA they're like amazing at one thing well, not like one thing but they're amazing at something right yeah probably or at least I think they are and that's really what it is like yeah. you just have to have the confidence and so I quit that job. And then I was like, you know what? I think entertainment would be really cool. And I played with a bunch of different ideas, being a music A&R, doing like a lot of different things. But then I was like, you know what? Let me just try to get whatever I can. And I signed up for like a recruitment company. And they were like, they need an assistant in the marketing department ew, at a film studio. Yay. So I was like, one out of two ain't bad. And I was like, maybe I'll like move around or move to the music department at this film studio. And I started working there and I worked there for two years. And it was the worst two years of my life. And I still have nightmares about my last boss.
0: And it was really toxic. <laughs> that was something we talked about the first day we met.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a toxic environment. Um, you know, it reminded me a lot of the high school mean girl crew. Mm. And I was but never- they were
0: the leaders? Yeah. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. But I was never popular in high school, so I felt like I really didn't fit into this crew. And I put 110% into my job at first. And then the longer I was there, the more it tore me down, the less I put into
0: it. It's so sad, too, because you're the kind of person that gives everything. And it it just – it breaks my heart because it's similar to the situation I went through where – I will give you everything. I will cut off my left arm for you. (laughs) Like, you just have to give me a little bit in return and I will just stick with you for life. Yeah. And it's just so sad because people think that they can keep you with fear, but really it drives people away or it diminishes their work. Yeah. At the very least.
1: Totally. And honestly, like, I don't want to get too into that because so eventually I get fired. I straight up get fired. It's, like, such a dramatic story, oh which we gosh. don't need to get into. <laughs> but How
0: did you deal with that? Being, like – because you are a person who takes a lot of pride in what she does and, like, obviously came from, like, a perfectionist environment. How did you deal with – I mean, I'm sure you were relieved in a way, but you also oh, – yeah. no matter what, even if it's, like, a very toxic situation, if you're fired, you oh, feel bad.
1: It's a blow to the ego for sure. And it was very – it was a quick transition. Like, I – had the opportunity to fight for my job and I didn't because I was like, it was like my ego going fight for this because you like, you're not in the wrong here. You made a mistake and that should be understandable. But the other half of me was like, this is the push you needed. Like you needed to let this go. And this was the best route because it's like, you wouldn't have pushed yourself. Like some people need a push and I needed a push and I remember like the day I got fired, I knew I was getting fired and I cried in that meeting of the actual firing and then I left and about two hours later, I was like at home laughing. Like it was, (laughs) it was so immediate and I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever broken up with somebody and it's been like really dramatic and like you're crying together and like he's mad or like whatever it is and then the next day you wake up and you're just like so relieved and like the
0: birds are singing outside. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but I did once break up with someone I really wanted to break up with mm-hmm. and I had gotten in a car accident that day and I wanted to break up with him so badly that I called him over to break up with him like while I had a foot flash. <laughs> it's the only person I, well, I broke up with my other ex-boyfriend, but like that was really hard because I loved him so much
1: yeah this guy i like
0: didn't love yeah but i called him over and i definitely like even though the next day i had whiplash i was like so you were like in a neck brace like i I don't think this is right i was like he's like babe are you okay i'm like yes sit down
1: (laughs) we need to talk but also could you sit directly in front of me because i can't turn my neck i can't turn my neck (laughs) wait
0: here i'll turn my whole body this isn't working
1: (laughs) god some people you just need to let go you just need to let it go i had
0: written a note about him like when i was home my because i'd like gone back to michigan and then come back to la he this guy was my first la boyfriend i had written this like list of like reasons why i should stay with him and why i should break up with him and on the list it was like there were just like a couple like random things and the next thing was might be gay girl i've been there i've well the reason i thought he was gay was because his sex drive was like way lower than mine oh my
1: god I was with a guy who was only into anal and I was like, I oh, feel like Well, at least this was
0: not that was not the case with him, but yeah. like he also always wanted to spend time with his roommate above me. Like we're going we're taking a deep dive. Yeah. But like even <laughs> on his birthday, he wanted to spend time with his roommate above me. And I was like, dude, you know that like we're gonna have sex if you come over. It was so weird. Oh my and god. And like then the night before I left for a two week vacation, like he didn't wanna sleep together because he had the sniffles. I can't. I was like <laughs> She's like, I've been sleeping, sitting up all week. And I'm
1: like, you can sit up for this as well. I mean, but anyway. I have to
0: acknowledge that people just have different sex drives. It's so true. But this this wasn't like one of those situations. It was kind of like, I don't know if you like me. No, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, I do know that feeling. (laughs) So that was right before the pandemic that you lost that job.
1: I lost that job. And literally, I was like, so excited. Was Was that February 2020? That was February
0: 4th, bro. Wow. Two days after my birthday, Fabi- yeah, maybe wow. that's what triggered it. That was it. I turned thirty-one. She was like, "I need to lose my job. I need to lose my job," and I did.
1: Thank you, Lauren. You're welcome. And what what did you call year twenty-seven? Didn't you say that was like the year of your spiritual awakening? Oh, okay. Or something? So
0: this this isn't my thing, but this is just like a life thing. So it's called your Saturn return, and it usually happens between the time of twenty-seven and twenty-nine. And it's a time when Saturn comes to the same place. This is an astrological thing. Saturn comes to the same place it was when you were first born. And so basically you're coming back to yourself and like realigning with what your purpose is, finding your passion and making big changes. Yes, son. Yeah. (laughs) So that makes a lot of sense that you've been doing that in
1: this past year. It totally does. And I think I told you this before, but my mom went to a psychic and the psychic was like, Don't worry about your daughter. Like 27 is going to be her year. And she told me this when I was 25 and I was like, great. I've got got two years to just fuck up and do whatever the fuck I want. And I turned 27 and everything went haywire. And then, yeah, I lost my job and I was like, great, I'm going to go into production. I'm so excited. How did you know that? That was a long string of like me doing, inter. uh, what are they called? Informational interviews. Mm. I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and so I would talk to people that I was close with, and Eric, who was also on the podcast, I talked to him. Him and I had an informational interview. We had a coffee date, because I was convinced that I wanted to do sync. I was Mm. like, oh, I want to be – like, that sounds creative, but also administrative, like things that I'm good at. Maybe that could be my passion. And so I talked to him for like an hour and a half, and just like told him to tell me like what his job was like, how creative is it? What do you do on a daily basis? And, you know, figured that that really wasn't for me once I did like two or three of those. And then I talked to an executive. This was like somebody that I had met through my company who left the company that I worked for, the film studio. And they went to work for a different film studio. And they were like, you should come here and just like, see who we have on staff here and see what you're interested in. And I talked to a production executive there and she was so excited about her job. She was so enthusiastic. She was like, this is the movies we have coming up. And she was just like, just wild about what she did. And I was like, oh my God, like, is that what production could be like? And what I really knew was that I'm really good at organizational stuff. I'm good at like the finance stuff, but What I was missing from my life and my lifestyle was having this aspect of spontaneity and like Mm. being able to jump from project to project and have like this newness to what I was doing and also like being on my feet because that's really where I got my energy from. Sitting at a desk all day, like I was falling asleep on a daily basis. I would take naps in my car during lunch. And I think it's just energy begets energy. And so I just like got that vibe from her and that energy from her. And I was like, maybe production is the route. And that was in February? In February, I wow. talked to her. And it was so funny because I remember talking to her and she had like refused to shake my hand. She was like using hand sanitizer a bunch. And I was like, wow, this girl's like really
0: I know, being
1: dramatic about this whole COVID thing. Because it was not a thing at that point. And then the shutdown happened like
0: two weeks later I know it happened so fast like I was ready to go to South by Southwest to launch Brene Brown's podcast oh
1: my god I was
0: supposed to fly there and they canceled like a week before we flew out so we had to reschedule everything but I I was being so obnoxious about it I was like oh well everyone's canceling so I'm getting to speak on all these panels (laughs) Like oh, let them be scared, yeah. and then I was like, oh, I was being an asshole. No, but I wasn't scared either at first. I was like, this is not a big deal because it seemed like every other pandemic. Yeah, because we did. had so many throughout our lifetime that I was like didn't it'll just turn out... stay on the other side of the planet. And we'll right. be fine. <laughs> so anyway, we learned our lesson. We did. So you kind of got an inkling for production at the same time. You're starting to deal with your mental health for the first time. You said you'd grown up feeling depressed and not yeah. knowing it. So how did this journey come to be? And and where are you now with that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, that was definitely something that has been spilling over into my life for a long time. And it's not something that I realized for some time. I always knew that I had anxiety. I didn't know that it was anxiety that had any sort of merit of like doing something about. I thought that like I was just weird. Like I didn't understand what like a normal social situation felt like. Even just hanging out with somebody one-on-one I would overanalyze what their face was doing, where my hand was placed. Oh, wow. How – like what's a casual way to sit, even the sound – like the the tone of my voice, even just where their eye movements were going. And I remember like even in high school, I would hear other people having conversations and I'd be like, wow, how are they having that conversation? Like it's so natural and – like I was oh, obsessed with like social interaction and – That was part of it. And then really where my uh, anxiety came out was when I would be PMSing. Mm. Like a lot of girls PMS, we all know what it's like to like feel a little bit crazy during the week. But like I...
0: I forget every time though. I'm like, oh, everything's terrible. And then I'm like, why do I feel this way? I'm never going to be happy again. (laughs) And then I give my period the next day. I'm like, oh.
1: And everything's good. You just needed to bleed. (laughs) Yeah. Bleed your feelings out. And so I would feel that way. Except, you know, I remember one time my boyfriend was like, "I you know, there's just like a little bit too much salt in the salad that you made. You started crying. And I cried for three hours. I was like, and he like sent me like this long apology text. He was like, I'm so sorry. I like didn't mean to like insult your cooking. And I was like, I fully understand what's happening right now. You know, I got to a place with dealing with all this stuff in terms of meditation in terms of having a habit tracker to kind of just put a lot of structure into my life taking vitamins exercising going outside seeing a therapist I saw a therapist for over a year like I definitely tried everything in the book to feel better Mm -hmm. And, and it was like Every time I had my period, it was such a disaster that I was like, is this normal? And I thought, I literally looked into the symptoms. I was like, maybe I have PMDD, um, which is like a very severe form of PMS. Long story short, I go on a walk with a doctor, my boyfriend's dad. He's not a psychiatrist, granted. he's a a um, lung doctor for babies. And I was telling him about my symptoms and just my general depression because – I had a decent childhood, and I was always a really angry kid.
0: Huh. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. So there's generational trauma, and I'm sure you have a lot of that. Mm. So, in I terms think a of lot like of, my parents being from Soviet Russia, is yeah, that but what you like mean? it can go back 16 generations. Oh shit. So, well, that's not good for the it, Jews. It passes exactly. <laughs> well, no, really. Like that's why you do have to look at that kind of stuff because it's called epigenetics. And the same way you can get past a, a genetic predisposition for having diabetes, you get past this genetic trauma. And, yeah. You know, like my grandmother was horribly abused as a child really? by her mother. And I kept finding myself in situations with abusive women. And I'm like, why does this keep happening? Like my mom loves me. Like I don't have like, this is a weird thing for me. It doesn't make sense. And I finally put two and two together this is happening cuz I'm repeating this genetic thing that's in me. Right. It's in my DNA. So anyway, that's Wait, when you say you were in situations with abusive women, not do you like mean- dating. I'm saying like people I would like my choir director in high school was a horribly abusive, terrible person. Oh. And I kept finding myself in situations like that, whether it was like a friendship or so someone I was would working have with, some sort of relationship. Yeah, some, with- it was like always with a woman who was in a power position who was either toxic or abusive. Yeah. And since I've made that connection, it hasn't happened again. Right. But you were drawn to these people. Yeah. Because I think I was trying to fulfill some sort of like karmic loop.
1: Yeah. I I, I fully believe in that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of that going on
0: in me. And I think... But you healing this and like dealing with it can heal up the whole bloodline. So like... That's really encouraging. It is. Yeah. Well, because when I started getting therapy... My therapist is not a normal therapist. she's a um licensed psychotherapist, but she also does energy healing and she does this thing called core energetics. Can you introduce me I can I would love to but she was like doing energy healing on me and like she did this like thing over my knees and I started sobbing. My grandma always had knee problems. I started sobbing and I wow. got this message like I heard my grandma's voice and she was like, "Thank you for doing what nobody else in our family could do and then like I heard also that like it's healing. All the women in our family because all the women are carrying this burden with them. That's incredible. And after that, my mom started doing therapy. Like without – like I had been begging her to for years and then like sudden – like I stopped because I realized I can't help you. You have to help yourself. After that, my mom started doing therapy. Like everything kind of it, – it became different. So anyway – that's insane. Yeah. But what you're doing by confronting this and like actually stepping in. Helping into, the future generations. Not that only I may future or may generations, have. but also past generations. Like you're heal- like you're healing oh. your mom, you're healing your dad. Any of this genetic trauma that you've carried from them, yeah, you're healing up the bloodline, like back and then forward if you are to continue it. Which is really curious because it's like, you know, specifically
1: with my ancestral history, like it's really easy to trace your family back when you're from America. Right. But when it comes to Soviet Russia, like, names were changed, especially with mm. Jews, because they didn't want to show that they were Jewish. My, oh. my grandmother's name was Riva, and she changed it to Rita because it sounded less Jewish. So it was – there's yeah. a lot of things in there where it's really hard to trace and, and figure out what my family history is. And so I'm sure that there is a lot of –
0: trauma and darkness that I just don't know about. Um, even think about the identity that your grandma lost just trying to stay alive. Totally. You know? And so it's like, as a young 20-something-year-old woman trying to find your path, yeah, maybe it's not life or death, but it might still feel that way because of the history of your family bloodline. Totally.
1: And my mom actually has done a great job of honoring her by making... She's called her business and everything Marina Riva, just to like have that be like her quasi-middle name. Beautiful. But in any case, the depression has always been there. Again, the social anxiety has been there since I was a kid. Anxiety in general, I would get a lot of panic attacks when I was a kid. When I how was that
0: dealt with when you were a kid? Was it acknowledged? It wasn't.
1: Yeah. It wasn't. I. It just happened and it would happen when I was like with a group of friends, especially a big group, and I would like hyperventilate and the whole thing. And then it would pass and I'd be like, All right, on with my life. And I I don't even know that I told my parents. Because you didn't have words for it. That's a really good way of putting it because I also remember having that happen when I was like falling asleep as a kid. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, it feels like the world is shoving all the words into my mouth. Like that's the only way I just dis- <gasps> was able to describe it. I was like five years old. Poor baby. And I was like, that's what it fe- it felt like I couldn't breathe. And it for some reason, I, I had this image of words, but it felt like this like hyper tunnel of thoughts and emotions just being shoved down my throat. Mm. And I, I know that this is definitely related to my throat chakra for sure. But that was – Something that I can look back on and go, that's what it was. But my mom had no idea, you know. She was also trying to, like, deal with things the way that she grew up with and, right. you know. Move
0: on. Exactly. Keep you safe.
1: And anytime I cried, you know, she wasn't very nurturing. She was kind of just like, stop crying. Right. <laughs> like, move on. And that was the that was the Russian way. It was like, don't deal with your emotions. Just, like, put on a happy face. Get over it. You know, I can't blame her for that because that's how she was raised. Yeah, no. It's super different. And so, like, we always try to do the best version of ourselves for our kids. But in any case, I grew up with that and that never really went away. Like, I just, like, always had this image of myself as an adult who was, like, confident and womanly and I never felt like a confident woman or even Mm. a woman. Like, I really always felt like a little girl and it triggered a lot of stuff in my relationship.
0: When you move in with somebody – and and you lived with your ex, right? No, I never lived with really? him. Really? Mm-hmm. He would be over all the time, but I never took that step because I always felt deep down we were going to break up. Mm, wow. Oh, that's mm. intense.
1: That's uh, <laughs> cuz how do you how do you deal with that in the moment, you know? Oh, well,
0: here's the other thing too that made it easier. He wasn't making enough money to even split with me. So it was like I I'm see. not going to So that kind of that. made the decision for both yeah. of you. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Um. So, okay. So you're dealing with your mental health. How did you decide yeah. to get on medication? Is that okay that I asked yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay. of
1: course. So, yeah. So as I was saying, like, everything came out when I moved in with my boyfriend because I just didn't realize that you just show all parts of you, mm-hmm. the ugly parts included, when you live with somebody. And that all came to a head when the pandemic hit and I lost my job. And, you know, he's somebody who's so incredibly passionate about what he does. And I still didn't have that. And so a lot of my insecurities were just bubbling over. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to see a therapist. That's going to fix things. And my therapist was incredible, especially with dealing with like childhood trauma, EMDR, amazing stuff, right? You should always see a therapist. And then I got to exercising and doing my habit tracker and spending a lot of time outdoors and doing yoga every day and I did all of this stuff that you were supposed to do and I felt better in some aspects but just not in the the everyday stuff and I went on this long walk with Mikey's dad as previously mentioned is a doctor and he was going to be a psychiatrist he went to school for psychiatry and then decided to change baths later but he put it in a really good analogy that I really loved, which was basically think of yourself as a house. Think of your mental health or your biological chemistry as the foundation of your home. If that's broken, is fixing the sink upstairs really going to do anything? If that's oh, wow. You know what I mean? That's powerful. And he put it in those terms of just like, the the meditation, the therapy, all of those tools are so amazing. But if you don't have a baseline of like how you're supposed to just feel being a normal human walking on planet Earth, then it's hard to implement them. You know, they're great to know, but it's hard to override the stuff that's happening in the basement. Mm. And so I, I understood that analogy a lot. And I literally called a psychiatrist the next day. And I got on something called Lexapro, which is an SSRI. And this is something I really want to say about anti-anxiety, antidepressants, they're pretty much the same thing in that world because they work in a very similar way. Um, this is not like the Xanax category of drugs. SSRIs are really interesting because it's not like taking a drug and suddenly like you're Happier or whatever. First of all, it takes an entire month to kick in. You don't feel shit for an entire month. And what it's doing and and what's happening when you're depressed or you're anxious is that throughout your day, basically your brain is eating up the amount of serotonin that is released and your body processes it at a certain speed. And so for people who are depressed or have anxiety, it's processed a little too quickly. And so you have none left for the rest of your day. So so something like an SSRI, it's a reuptake inhibitor, and it basically slows down that process. And all it does is it lets your body process the serotonin that you naturally produce for longer, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like the drug Molly where you're taking it and it's just like releasing a ton of like dopamine and serotonin and, you know, you're just like happy and it's not a natural thing.
0: Yeah. It's a slow release.
1: It's a slow release. And slow it's. Release. Slow
0: release. Oh, Little yeah. ASMR for a listener. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think it's really important for people to look at it like that because it's not addictive for that reason. Mm. It's changing your body chemistry. And after a year or two, you can stop taking it. That's so good. It's temporary until literally your brain chemistry is like, okay, this is what she needs. This is how much she should be processing. This is what's normal for her. And it starts doing it on its own.
0: And what did it feel like after that
1: month? I remember working my first job as a PA, which was on a short film back in October. Okay. It was literally three weeks after I had started taking Lexapro. And I remember being on that set and I was having trouble in my relationship at the time, and my social anxiety was gone. I didn't feel any of what I normally felt, the overthinking, the analyzing how I was moving, how I was talking, all of that was just gone. Even though I was going through a really hard time emotionally, I'm in this really good place
0: physically. So it made you feel strong. That's a really good way to put it. I like that. It made (laughs) me feel strong. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could deal with it. Like you had the tools you needed to deal with it. Exactly.
1: That's where all the other stuff kicked in. That's where I was like, okay, the meditation, focusing on the now, all of that kicked in. And I was like-
0: But you needed a foundation in order to allow it to kick in. Exactly. So at this point you had found you know, production. You felt like that was the thing that lit you up. What What is it about the 20s that makes it so hard? And what would be your tip or tips for people who are in a situation like you were in where they're triggered by the word passion (laughs) because they don't know what passion is or what their passion is, what would you say to them? And and why is it so hard?
1: Yeah, I I hate the word passion because it assumes that you should have known all along what you wanted Mm. to do. And I think for some people, it just takes a long time. And I think it also just
0: takes trying new things. And you can have different passions in your lifetime.
1: Dude, some people don't have a passion. Yeah. Some people go through life and they're like, I want to do this. Then I want to do this. I want to be a real estate agent. But isn't now that I'm
0: cool? Like, I almost yeah. wish I was like that. Like, I did an interview with my mom that I didn't air, which Emily heard, but you didn't and you won't. <laughs> we'll do another one sometime. Because I cried. Um, yeah, it was really sad. <laughs> Unfortunately, we'll get a we'll get one that's like sad and hopeful yeah. soon. Um, but, you know, one thing that was really interesting about my mom was like, she was just happy Working at American Airlines and like doing what she did. And like, I almost envied her. It sounded nice. It sounded simple. Like I actually look back on my life and I'm like, you know, the happiest year of my life was when I took this new job that I, I now is no longer new, like the full-time job I'm in now. And like for a year, all I did was the job. And then I was like working on my album in, in my spare time. And my life was so simple and quiet and it was nice. And so I'm like, I don't want to go back to that where like I'm not doing as many things because I am genuinely passionate about a lot of things. So I don't want to go back to that where I'm not doing as many things as I'm passionate about. But like, how do I find simplicity again? Because that was really powerful. And I think we shouldn't shame people. No. For not having a passion. No. Or for having many different passions or for having lots of things they're interested in. But like, even when you were younger, like if you hadn't had the feeling of like passion chasing you down you probably would have like been more at peace with yourself
1: totally and i think it was just like you said your mom was so content in what she did and that's what we're all striving for mm-hmm. and i think we have this societal thing of everyone telling you well you're not going to be content unless you find something that you're passionate
0: about but that can drive you crazy too like yeah i i love what i do and i you know that i fight for You and for you, the listener, like all the time to do what you are passionate about, if you are passionate about it, because I think life is too short. At the same time, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean it's easy and doesn't mean it's not going to break your heart. And so that's something you have to realize when you do find a passion is that that's just one piece of the puzzle. And as long as you're committed to the journey, that's fine. But the journey isn't always easy just because you know what you want. And that if you don't know what you want,
1: your passion isn't this singular, you know, this is the thing that I'm most interested in. You can be interested in a lot of different things. And the thing is we're human, so we change. And change is happening all the time. And we're not always going to be interested in the same thing. But I I think it's really just trying a bunch of different stuff. Mm -hmm. And being okay with being a kid again. Like just – Fucking try shit and be okay with it not working out.
0: The reason I beat, like, I was in a fight club with myself my whole 20s was because I felt like I had to have everything figured out because everyone on Friends did. Those people <laughs> were fucking actors. Let me just make that clear. Nobody in their 20s knows what they're doing. Everybody feels lost. Everybody feels like they're failing all the time. Maybe, like, the last year in my 20s, I felt okay. Everything up until then, I felt terrible. So if you're in that stage right now, I want you to be okay. Even if you're not in your 20s, if you're in your 30s and you still feel like that, that's okay. That means you're trying. That means you're in the arena of life. That's beautiful. Some people figure it out at 50. Yeah. If you listen to uh, Raven. uh, Raven.
1: She figured it out at 65, wasn't it?
0: Oh, no. 55. 55. But I'm just saying,
1: like,
0: that doesn't mean her life was worthless up until then. No, because she was very positive about it. It's just she said, at 50, I got my wake-up call. Yeah. Everyone has a different path. And of course, it'd be nice to figure it out when you're young. But also then, like, what are you really working toward?
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful point. I think about that all the time. I'm like, why do you want to figure it out now?
0: If I had just, like, had a smooth path of when I was 22, I had just decided I was, like, pursuing acting. I just had a clear path with an actor, which, by the way, we are going to talk about how you got a fucking acting role.
1: <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> no, we do.
0: But if I just had a clear path, I never would have done any of the other stuff I did. And also, like, what am I going to talk about when I go on podcasts? Yeah. Oh, how easy my life was?
1: Good for you. Well, it's if you think about any of, like, those artists that started out really mm-hmm. young, like Justin Bieber. Yeah. He's had a really tough time spiritually. Yeah. In his 20s because everything was smooth sailing. hmm You know what I mean? So, like, just because things work out quickly or well does not mean that it's going to – like, if you have nothing to look forward to – Right, like that sucks.
0: Because when you make it, then what? <laughs> right, and I do want to make it, quote unquote. But I do think that don't underestimate or undervalue the story that you're writing right now. That's beautiful. Thank you. Oh yeah, Emily just got cast in a movie that she was supposed to be a PA on. A movie, and she got it it was in a short one film. Of, that was a movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, one of the lead parts, and I'm jealous of her.
1: It's my inner child. It's like all that stuff is coming true. Mom and dad, I'm an actress. So <laughs> fuck
0: off. <laughs> um, Suddenly, Seymour. Seymour's
1: my friend.
0: Man. Oh, it's man. <laughs> I always thought his friend.
1: Let's try that again. Seymour's <laughs> my
0: friend. Man. Oh, like, one more <laughs> time, she did one it every time. Okay. Seymour's <laughs> my friend. Man. Oh, wait, one more time. Last time. I swear. This I'm going to say. no, no.
1: <laughs> this is literally last time. Sin. Last time. Seymour's my man. i backing up from the microphone because it's just getting worse.
0: <laughs> so now Emily and I work together. As you can tell, We have a really good, I would say a great friendship within our working relationship, but it's also great because I can really be honest with you and you care and you care about the show as much as I do, which is really amazing. I didn't know if I'd ever find it and I'm happy I found you. (gasps) Thank you for caring about me and the show. And I'm so happy you found something that lights you up the show in addition to all the other like production and film work you're doing. And I just think sky's the limit for you. For anyone who's in Emily's position, just show up, care, and you too. You never know. We'll unleash your inner creative. Yeah, you never know what you're
1: going to find. And I just want to say, Lauren is the next Oprah. I believe in her. If you are in this, like, really beautiful community, spread the word. And and if there's anything you guys want to hear or anything that you feel like is missing from the show, let us know.
0: Yeah, we really want to make it better. Yeah, We want to connect to you and help you in as many ways as we can and just, like... Expand this community because it really is full of really good and talented people. Like, genuinely talented. Like, every time I see something one of you is doing, I'm blown away. So, and we want to show you off.
1: Yeah. And just like, you're our trophy wives.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to take you to the company party.
1: Yeah. We'll pay for your drink. It'll be great.
0: You can have more than one with me. I don't know about M.
1: No, I, I don't make that much money. So,
0: just one. You can have like the house wine. <laughs> That's good. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Follow Emily at We Can't Find Emily.
1: I love you, Lauren. Love you. You're my favorite human being. Aww, and I love you so
0: much. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you too. Thank you for being Mwah. you. Mwah. Bye.
1: Bye.